It's time to decide. You must choose your subscription box. Do you want fluffy, fuzzy things? Do you want a watch that you'll barely even wear? How about more collectibles to fill the shelves in your room? No! You don't want that. You want horror movies, and you want them on DVD. No, you want them on Blu-ray. Well, buddy, it must be an omen, because here I am, and here's HorrorPack.com. Join HorrorPack.com for $19.99 a month and get three killer DVD movies plus one exclusive. Or join up for $24.99 a month and get three Blu-ray blood soakers and an exclusive each month. There, now you've made up your mind. Or I have. HorrorPack.com for the best scare anywhere. And that's room tone. There you go. There you go. Do music. Marcho recommends you put on your headphones now to listen to. Hey everybody, I'm back. And mostly. Welcome to another Achieving Reality the Podcast. Alright, so I still have no idea what's going on, and I do know that Chris and I are working on some new stuff. So yeah, there you go. Alright, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Achieving Reality the Podcast. I'll see you mostly at the end. Bye! Oh, I, I, I can't find my mouth. Bye! Hey, Chris! Hey, Larry. How you doing, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. So, I say that a lot, don't I? You do. It's like, that's my I try, word. I try to cut it out sometimes, and it doesn't, doesn't help. Uh, well, I got us something here. Because it's like, so I think it. Yeah. Doesn't work. Uh, so, <laughs> I got us something here that uh, Ritz and I were having lunch uh, last week or two weeks ago up in um, Kennesaw, it's in a city north and west of where Studio B, Studio A is. And B. And B. And um, we were at the, at the varsity up there, uh, and uh, we were trying to figure out what the oldest fast food restaurant chains were in America. And we found out the oldest chain is uh, White Castle. And uh, I love me a White Castle. I've never had one. Yes, you have. Have you ever had a Crystal? Well, yes. Then you basically had a White Castle. It wasn't a White Castle. It's 99% the same thing. Well, yes, technically, but it's not a White Castle. <laughs> All right, well, go buy them out of your local grocery freezer and you'll have had a white castle. No, it's <laughs> an experience. you got to do the whole thing. So, I was standing there, uh, or sitting here just a little bit ago, and I was like, hey, I wonder what the oldest restaurants in America that are still open are. So, I typed in top ten oldest restaurants, 
So this is kind of an impromptu top ten list, but not really. Okay. So top ten yay. Okay. Ish. We can do that. But it's not really. Note to self, put in music. No, it's not really it's not really a top ten. Well how many are there? There's ten. Since you love my so's. So. Now, this is a no. Where are you going? Over here. This is in no particular order. It's not even in. Vamp. What? Vamp. Vamp. It's not even in, um, um, what's it called? Uh, Chronological order? Yeah, it's not even in chronological order or by year. It's just, these are the oldest restaurants that are still open and operating in America. So the first one that they Number have listed. One. No. Number ten. No, stop. No. There is no chronological to this. The first one listed is Lewis's Lunch. It's from 1895. It's in New Haven, Connecticut. And um, it says, uh, take a trip to Lewis's Lunch for a burger of historic proportions. Cooked order just like it was when Lewis made the very first, in quotes, hamburger sandwich. Well, it says sandwich, but... It's me. Yes. In 1900, handshake patties served between toast with... Handshake patties? What? Why would you want a handshake patty? So you can slap your tongue with good flavor. Uh, served between toast and cheese and onion, if you're lucky, and it's not too crowded. The so if it's crowded, you can't have onion? Yep. Uh, the stinky in there? Apparently. The burgers are even served on a cast iron grill that date back to 1898. Hmm. That's impressive. Hope they washed it. The next yes, iron, you gotta be careful with. Yes. The next one is the Buckhorn Exchange in Denver from 1893. Henry Shorty Scout Zeitz opened the Buckhorn Exchange during a time when cattlemen, miners, railroad workers, silver barons, Indian chiefs, drifters, drifters, and businessmen all dined under the same roof. The restaurant was given the first liquor license in the state of Colorado. Uh, and the food menu remains mostly unchanged to this day. Hmm. Uh, let's see, then there's... Along Mc- with the dishes. <laughs> ew. Uh, then, ew. Then there's McGillan's Old Oldie Ale House in uh, 1860 in Philadelphia. The oldest continuously operated restaurant and tavern in Philly. Uh, McGillan's opened its doors the same year Lincoln was elected. Hmm. Uh, in 1960, just a few years after the Liberty Bell cracked. The spot was used uh, originally called the Bell in Hand, but patrons began calling it McGillan's after the owner, William McGillan. He and his wife raised their 13 children upstairs from the tavern, but eventually the restaurant expanded to include their living space as well as the Oyster House next door. Hmm. That's actually pretty impressive. 13 yeah. freaking kind of kids. Kind of sad, because I really like that Oyster place. Uh, yeah. Bright Box Country Dining in Ball Town, Ohio. Hey. <laughs> 1852. Let's see. This was established. Everything sounds like it's getting closer. Uh, this was established in 1852 in Ball Town under a permit issued by Millard Fillmore. Mm. 
Employee Jacob Breitbach. My friend went to his University of College. Was, yeah. <laughs> Jacob Breitbach bought the restaurant from the original owner in 1862 and has been run by the Breitbach family now in its sixth generation of ownership ever since. First two, first, the first of two fires that destroyed the building happened in 2007, <laughs> and the restaurant was immediately... Oh, man. Well, repeat... Rebuilt immediately with the help of hundreds of volunteers from the, the community. Ten months later, the second fire struck, but the community rallied again to rebuild it once once more. And then gave the owner a stern warning. <laughs> Stop fucking playing with fire! How am I supposed to cook the burgers? Tadich Grill in San Francisco is from 1849. Weird. The Tadich Grill opened in 1849 during the height of the gold rush in California when thousands headed west in hopes of striking it rich and apparently heart disease. Um, initially opening as a coffee stand, the Grill has been a full-service restaurant since employee John Tadich bought in 1887. The eatery claims to be the first U.S. restaurant to grill seafood over mesquite charcoal. Says so one day an employee brought a hibachi to work and yeah. ever since... A cooking method the Croatian owner used while growing up. Uh, now, oh, I was going to say, now you'll notice none of these are in the South, but i going to stick my foot in my mouth. <laughs> Antonis, Antonis, and Antoine's Restaurant, 18, 1840, New Orleans. Located in the French Quarter, New Orleans, that place has been serving up Authentic Louisiana Creole Fair since it opened in 1840. The restaurant was founded by Antoine Alcatore and has been run by the family ever since, making it the oldest family-run restaurant in the country. Cattore mm. claimed to have invented Oysters Rockefeller in Antoine's kitchen. The original location of the restaurant was one block from the current spot. They moved in 1868 due to popular demands for expansion. <laughs> All right, fine. The popular demands to get the fuck out of this neighborhood. Yeah, we don't like you here. Go that way one block. Union Oyster House, 1826, Boston. Wow. Before turning into a restaurant, this building held at the sign of the cornfields a formal dress store. Oh, that that's the name of the dress store, a, at the sign of the cornfields. In 18, uh, 1771, a printer named Isaiah Thomas, was he a basketball player? Uh, used the second floor to publish a newspaper called the Massachusetts Spy. Woo! The original name of the wow. restaurant was the Atwood and Bacon Oyster House, but quickly changed to the Union Oyster House. During the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Restaurant claims that the toothpick was popularized here after a businessman imported the picks from South America and hired an eager Harvard University student to dine... Oh, hired the students to dine at the Oyster Union Oyster House and request the convenient teeth cleaning tools. That's weird, but uh, kind of interesting. Uh, 1776, Essex, Connecticut, the Griswold Inn. Okay. You go there and Grandma's still up on the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the oldest continually run restaurants in the nation. The restaurant and inn was founded in 1776. Weird. Mm -hmm. To provide shelter and sustenance. I don't get much older in this country. No. 
Well, if you could go to the 1400s or 1500s, but that's already probably been destroyed. And what this country? Yeah, technically. Let's see. The Griswolds... Under new management. <laughs> the Griswold has served such esteemed guests as George Washington. They all say that. Yeah. Mark Twain, Albert Einstein, and Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Heigl. <laughs> it continues to serve rustic American fairs decorated with many of the building's original fixtures. Hmm. That's actually impressive. Uh, Francis, this is a also probably pronouncing wrong, Tavern, 1762. That's older. Now they're done the country. First building constructed on this property, currently located in New York City's financial district, hmm. was the home of New York's Mayor Stephanus von Cortland, 1686. Cortland gave the house to his son-in-law in 1700, who eventually sold it to Samuel Francis. Francis renovated the building and turned it into a tavern and restaurant in 1762. Oh, it was a frequent meeting place of the Sons of Liberty before the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. And the most... Historical event to take place in the restaurant on the evening of December 4th, 1783, when the tavern held a congratulatory dinner for George Washington and his troops after they punched the British Army in the face. After they bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oh, and finally, oh, that, this one's the oldest. White Horse Tavern, 16... White Castle. <laughs> 1673, Newport, Rhode Island. The building that houses the White Horse Tavern was constructed 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 earlier than 1673, but it didn't open as a tavern and restaurant until that year when William Mays bought the property. The name White Horse Tavern didn't come along until Jonathan Nichols bought the restaurant in 1730 and renamed it. It's registered as a National Historical Monument, I mean landmark by the National Park Service. Hmm. So there you go. The top 10 oldest restaurants in the United States. Yeah. I do kind of want to go to this lunch, though. But not very funny. Well, it's not... Not everything has to be funny. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. That's why we like ourselves as a comedy. Yeah, well, sometimes we have interesting stuff. Jerk. Yeah, I'm just a cop Shut up. No, you're not. Uh-huh. You're just doing it to make fun of me. Yeah, Dick. Yep. <laughs> All right, so there you go. Apparently, my very unfunny, uh, hate-filled list of the oldest hate restaurants. Oh, yeah. Restaurants. Why do you gotta be a hater. You're the hater. I came out with something in- that I found interesting, and you pissed all over it. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And now I gotta go get a new laptop. But um, so there you go. Cue old restaurant music. <laughs> Show up soon. Me too. All my stuff's in my car. <laughs> it's okay. You're not that far of a walk away. Dryer's still going. It is. I guess we should do another bit then. Waiting for you? Oh. Okay.
Hey, there you go. Hey, Chris. How you doing? I'm all right. What you doing? Uh, I was texting Skip. That guy again. But I'm in a... The one that never comes on the show. It's because, weirdly enough, he doesn't like to hear himself talk. No, like Harvey. Yeah. So, um, we're going to do another Needles of the Weird. Uh, so just in case Neil ever shows back up again never shows up, ever shows up again I know he read it at one point in time but it's uh, I get all these weird stories out of news of the weird over 100% bizarre but true stories that reveal weirdness weirdness everywhere uh, um, not so much written by but collected by Compiled by. Yeah, compiled and put into book form by Chuck Shepard, John J. Jingleheimer Schmidt. Kohut and Roland Emmerich. Sweet. Sweet. So there you go. So thank you to John to Chuck Shepard, Alan Went, and Frank Martin. Ooh. I don't know. John J. Coet and Roland Sweet. <sighs> oh. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> so, um, all right. Pick a number between 1 and 158 or whatever it was. 158, then. You want the last page? No, I want 158. 158. Ooh. There's, there's no title for this. Let's it's see. It is, it is a fairly decently long one. Uh, uncategorically weird. Oh, Lord. Uncategorically weird. In 1978, a Stanford student bludgeoned his academic advisor to death with a sledgehammer. Damn. Talking about knocking some sense out of somebody. Blaming him for blocking his progress during his 19-year career in the school's graduate math program. Wait, what college is this? Stanford. By the time of the murder, he had lost his job and his wife had only $24 to his name. He said that his advisor, Carell Delue, treated him in a condescending manner and teased him for wearing wingtip shoes. After killing Delu, he spent his remaining cash on a pizza and a beer, and then turned himself in. He said that he contemplated murder for quite a few years, but that he first finished work on his thesis so that the murder wouldn't look like sour grapes. <laughs> Professors who testified at his trial said that his thesis only needed to be typed when the murder took place. After killing Delu, I got what I wanted. He said, I have the leisure to study without the distractions of having to support myself. I view prison as a sort of utopia with constraints. Defeats the purpose of utopia then, doesn't it? <laughs> During his time... Well, he's free to do what he wants to do. and that's Sort of. Well, he wants to read books and... Pick his nose. Read books, so... <laughs> wants to read books and read books. During his time in prison, he refused conditional parole offers three times because he would not agree to stay away from Stanford. Upon his release from prison... So, but, what? If we let you go, you got to stay away from Stanford. <clears throat> no. I'm going to stay here, which is away from Stanford, 
instead of being told I can't go to Stanford. Well, there's also the fact that you stay in prison, you're getting three hots and a cot, mm-hmm. and unlimited use of a library, of every library. To Sam. Uh, now, granted, not at this point in time because it was so, yeah, 80s, uh, yeah, 70s, and 80s. A prison library. At this, but yeah, but they can you can order specific books and have them put them in the library. Jesus, yeah, but you know that Andy Dufresne. Uh, let's see, where was it? Upon his release from, oh, he's not curious about that stupid poster. <laughs> Upon his release from prison in 1985, he said, "I have no intention of killing again." On the other hand. I cannot predict the future. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of smart. I guess. Like, yeah, I'm not going to kill again, but, you know. You never know. That'll keep people from going over there and making fun of his wingtip shoes. <laughs> yeah, the last guy went over there and gave him shit about his shoes. He killed with a sledgehammer. Bludgeoned with a sledgehammer. He killed him. Knocked some sense into him. Knock the sense out of him. Say he's he's very sensitive about his shoes for some reason. Apparently, it spent 19 years in college. I say he's like um, maybe lay off the shoes, guys. Maybe lay off the college, dude. You want another one? What is he, Van Wilder? What? 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 No. Do you want another one from the book? Sure. Why not? Pick page. Sixty four. Thank you for Wait a minute, I think that was what we picked last time. Nope, sex is its own punishment. Oh boy. Oh, there's two of them. Transvestite. Mm, that started off good. <laughs> James Kubiak of Olmsted Falls, Ohio. <coughs> Take two. What the hell did that come from? Transvestite, James Kubiak. Of Olmsted Falls, Ohio. Or Jenny. <laughs> Not necessarily. Was killed when he tied himself to a railroad track to masturbate and was not unable to tie himself before the train came along and hit him. Seems a bit extreme. It's been odd. I'm trying to figure out how you would... Are you humping the track? Don't know. Or are you like... All tied uh, down except for one hand? I don't know. And like, are you lengthways or this way across the track? I can't contemplate it. <laughs> Why not? Because. That's not a good read. read. That's a book. Read the book. I did. I just read you what was in the book. That's the whole story. That's all we were given. Details, folks. Details. All right. Well, here's the second one on number 64. A Norwalk, Connecticut man won a workers' compensation award after catching AIDS while working in Zaire. That'd be the place to catch it. He He claimed he contracted the condition because of numerous sexual liaisons with local women procured by his employer for its workers. So basically... I've never seen a benefits package like that. Your boss is a pimp. Never seen that in my benefits package. Well, it's because you're not in Zaire. Not even, not even in the bottom in the fine print. Like in case of trip to Zaire. So, okay, well, yeah. If his employer hooked him up with infected women, I guess technically that could be a workers' comp. That's 
Not a whole lot of condolence there, but... No, I don't feel bad for you at all. You didn't have to fuck these women. No, no, you didn't. Didn't have to do it with un- unprotected either. Just saying, I guess if your employer hooked you up with them, that qualifies as a workman's comp. He didn't wasn't actually on the job unless he was actually on the job, but his job was that wasn't part of his job, I'm pretty sure. No, he said that it was these were hired by the boss. Yeah, but not as part of his job. No, no. So I guess maybe he's in a, a mine. Oh, yeah. But how would you most people don't get transferred to Zaire to work in a mine. You go to Zaire and you sign up. Maybe he was there to oversee. But then he's the boss. Well, no. Like, the, the guy runs the mine, and you Owns the mine. Runs the mine. This is whatever company he works for owns the mine. They send him over there to oversee what's going on. The guy who actually runs the mine hooked him up with these people. I don't know. No, you had to do another one, because that wasn't funny. <laughs> All right, pick a pick a twelve. I'm doing it fast, so you had to put your phone down halfway through your text message. No, I'm still typing it. One, two, three, four, five. I got six on this page. Holy crap! What's this category? I don't know yet. Let me look. Really short things. <laughs> Appetizers. <laughs> Smooth reactions. Okay. So these were all going to end with Billy D. Williams. <laughs> Unless start, it is... Start with the top one. Okay. Well, thank you. <clears throat> Godfather? I've been a big fan of yours, sir. Could you sign this? Okay, I've got 50 bucks and don't talk to me. 60. 70 now. Anthony Tate, a four-year member of Alaska's Hells Angels... Went into the Crazy Horse Lounge in Anchorage. Wait, wait. The, the Alaskan Hells Angels. Yeah. You think instead of like rather regular leather jackets, they have like parkas? <laughs> Mucklucks. Muck. Oh, no, that's the, that's the boots. No, they, they wear those big furry coats. Um, They're anoraks. <laughs> uh, in order to beer, the strip joints bouncer told Tate he'd have to take off his leather jacket or leave. Oh, I guess that answers the question. Tate responded to the challenge to his biker's colors by suing the bar. It's not a, I mean, it's a very Alaskan thing, but it's not a very Hell's Angels thing. No, the Hell's Angels got really litigious there at one point. Mm-hmm. I guess. But this is one guy. This isn't like all of them. And he's only been a four-year member. He's very proud of being a member. Yeah. Well, the fact that he got his colors that quickly is actually impressive. But still... I don't. I guess I would have just left the bar, and went to another one, or not here to go. I might have just taken the jacket off. No, no, no. I can understand why he didn't. I just don't understand why he didn't just leave. Well, maybe and like shit in the chair or something. Maybe bars are few and far between up there. Well, it is Alaska. He's like sixty miles to the next bar. All right, here's the next one. A police psychologist in Lima, Peru, said he was so revolted by the confessions he heard from one alleged mass murderer that he took off his belt and used it to strangle the suspect 
Holy shit. <laughs> in the jail cell. Holy crap. Any idea what the guy did? Well, whatever. Well, he was a masked murderer. An alleged mass murderer. So, murdered a lot of people. Okay. Actually, technically, a mass murderer means you've murdered three or more. Isn't that mm-hmm. weird? I think three should not be the cutoff. I think it should be five. I know it's only two more, but three still sounds like you're just kind of ramping up. Killing three people at one time is kind of a bad thing, Larry. All right, so what? where was this? Lima, Peru. Let's try this. Maybe the guy deserved it. Well, he was an alleged mass murderer, so yes. All right, was there another one? There's a bunch more. No, I mean, was there another one on that page? Yes. Okay, let's, let's go for the comedy gold, Larry. Woo! <laughs> comedy gold! Santa Clara County, California. Judge Joseph... Wapner. By a four? Be a four? Bofort? Added six months to 300-pound David Todd Brown's two-year burglary sentence Mm. after Brown reacted to the punishment by dropping his pants and mooning the judge. 300 pounds? 300 pounds. He could be 300 pounds like... Or he could be 300 pounds like, you know, big muscular I'm thinking he's 300 pounds. Because, you know... I think he's 300 pounds. (laughs) Because burglary is not really a good career choice for someone who's that weighty. Unless you're... Unless you're like a Super flex, yeah. But he did moon the judge, hmm. which is humorous in and of itself. It might not be comedy gold, but it's definitely comedy bronze. Well, it's also pretty damn stupid. Well, yes, he added three years to his sentence for two years. Oh no, six months to his two-year sentence. So two and a half years. I guess that would be three months per butt cheek. Mm-hmm. So they can't be that big of butt cheeks. Because he was really, if he had a really big ass, it would have been at least a year. Up, up cheek. All right, all right. What, what's next? What's oh, next? I'm getting there. No, you're not. You're, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm current going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Look, just because you're in a rush doesn't mean I am. Um, a neighborhood panhandler in Lansing, Michigan. Michigan. Yes, McChicken. Asked a bank teller for 50 cents for a beer, thinking she heard him said, give me your money. Wait, what? <laughs> I guess give me give me 50 cents for a beer maybe she just heard give me and panicked maybe the temp the templar <laughs> the templar beheaded the man <laughs> the teller and then knelt before God <laughs> thank you O oh lord for giving me the power to destroy this evil panhandler give me giving me the opportunity to kill this poor panhandler the teller emptied her cash and drawer and handed him over thirteen hundred dollars the panhandler, who prosecutors say committed no crime, had already spent the money by the time the police found him. How in the fuck do you spend $1,500? Well, even in an hour, how do you spend $1,300 if you're a panhandler? You're either buying everybody in your little group, like Ripple, which means you've now spent $10. Mm-mm. He bought pharmaceuticals. Probably. Or maybe he, like... Bought a used car. No. Yeah, it's like to live in the used. Well, he's in Lansing. He can just grab a used car off the street. No, no maybe maybe it's like, hey, I got this much money. I could buy me a a Pinto or something and leave, live in it. I could buy me a van, live down by the river. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, go into one of those buy it now places. Give him the thirteen hundred dollars and said, hey, can I get that? And I was like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, late for his golf game, <laughs> a Sebastopol, California. How do you know if you're late for a golf game? <laughs> a, well, it starts at a specific time usually. Yeah, you catch up. Uh, a Sebastopol, California man rushed to join his foursome at the fourth hole. His irritated partner, who was also his best friend, uh, greeted him by clubbing him with a five iron and a seven iron, breaking his arm and bruising a kidney. So he broke the one club and then put, picked another club. Apparently. Seems like at the point where you break the club, you would actually have a moment where you go like, oh shit. Yeah. I probably shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. How mad do you have to be about this guy showing up late for a golf game that you reached for another club instead of coming to your senses? I have no idea. That's that's, that's crap, though. I'd be like, and you were my best friend. Were. And you were my best friend. Now I'm going to show up at your house and shoot you in the kidney. And, 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 and then I'm going to tell everybody I thought you were a raccoon. You're my best friend. You show up late for our golf game. You know, it's the only time I get to get out of here. So here's the last one on the page. It's only two lines long. (laughs) Two lines, schmuck stories. A a Crown Point, Indiana man became so mad when his wife got a parking ticket that he caulked shut 102 parking meters. (laughs) That's a good one. That's... How has nobody noticed this at like 74? Well, we don't we don't know what time he did it at. If he did it like four in the morning, no one's going to be around. You got to think about it. I mean, you how can many think where par- he is. How many Crown meters? Point, Indiana. There's only like eight people that live there. Yeah, but how many parking meters could there possibly be on one street? Well, apparently 102. Well, no, there's not 102 parking meters on any one street in that place. He had to be going around and around and around. Well, maybe he went to every parking meter in like the town, like just follow the square around. That's my point. When you figure in travel time, he had to be out there a while. Well, he's probably got there, got out of his car, and then just started... You know, for all we know, all he did was he had the, the caulking gun. It just went bead, 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 and it, it, would, it wouldn't go as long. It wouldn't take as long. But I'm talking about traveling to 104 parking meters. 102. 102. All right. That was it, man. Okay, well... Oh, I I thought you were still talking. Uh, Cue music. So there it is. Another Achieving Reality, the podcast done and done. I have still have no idea what's going on uh, because I'm just basically an idiot and not really paying attention. Just trying to get myself better after a month of this horrible laryngitis. Uh, so for Chris, parentheses and parentheses, everybody else involved, I'm Larry saying Alfidazane. Cute room tone music. <laughs> That's the worst music they've put on ever. Hey everybody, Larry here from Achieving Reality, the podcast. So you've missed the last few episodes, have you? That's cool. We got you covered now. That's right, Achieving Reality, the podcast is now on Spotify. Nice, right? 
So, now you can listen to us on Podbean, Google Play, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, and Spotify. We're growing and growing. I mean, wow. Follow us on Facebook and give us a listen on all of our new platforms and our old platforms. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Achieving Reality, the podcast. See you soon. Auf Wiedersehen.